Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the movie Oubliette. I always stumble on that word, even though it's the title <laughs> of our podcast. Um, <clears throat> so this is a podcast where we drag some forgotten and often quite weird films out of obscurity and we bring it into the light and review it to see if it should be set free into the world or thrown back into the dungeon <laughs> to be forgotten forever yes indeed so how are you dan i am much better than previous <laughs> weeks uh how are you conrad <laughs> very well yes and very excited to be doing our first ever uh nostalgia episode childhood nostalgia. oh yes uh childhood nostalgia and also, uh, fantasy as well. Our first fantasy uh, film to be reviewed in this podcast. Yes, that's right. So instead of um, horror, which we've done a couple of times, and sci-fi, we're still in the 80s. But uh, yes, in a slightly different genre. So I, I guess you better go and pull that sucker out of the uh, out of the oubliette. Ah, yes. One moment, please. <laughs> Just over by the oubliette. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Why is why is that trapdoor so far away from our studio? <laughs> well, for health and safety, I think. <laughs> uh, yes. So today um, we will be reviewing Willow, uh, Willow. which is a nineteen eighty eight film. From memory? <laughs> it is. It is. It's a 1988 movie from the Lucasfilm stable, no less, which is interesting because you, you kind of think that Lucasfilm is a powerhouse because of what it's become, mm. you know, a subsidiary of Disney and churning out a Star Wars movie every three minutes. Mm -hmm. But in fact, in its 45 years, I was looking, it's only actually produced about 25, 26 movies. Oh, right. So um, you think that, you know, it's churning out lots of things we remember from our childhood, mm. but really not. So this film was uh, directed by Ron Howard. Ron Howard, who I have mixed feelings about as a director. <laughs> yeah, I, I, haven't, I have to admit, I haven't seen a lot of his films. Uh, no. I've seen, you know, a bunch of his 80s stuff because I grew up in the 80s, um, mm. but... Apart from that, I haven't really seen a huge amount of his his uh, his film catalogue. Yeah. Well, Apollo 13, I, I would imagine you've seen. I only saw that recently, actually. Really? Wow. And was amazed by it. It's it's a fantastic movie. 
It really is. Yeah, it's one where um, yeah people thought, "Wow, Ron Howard's a real player." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but then other people pointed out that that story is just so inherently good mm. that it would have taken a really really sucky director to screw up Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks that has happened with some very good stories so it's, it's <laughs> not true it's not uncalled for I didn't know this but Ron Howard started off his film career as as an actor yeah happy days oh right I didn't. Yeah. I never watched Happy Days. No, see, it's before my time, really. But yeah, he was a he was in everybody's all all Americans living rooms every week on Happy Days oh, with right. the Fonz, and he was the main character. Right, I didn't know that. Yes, interesting. Yeah, he was he was Richie Cunningham. So he was an actor first and foremost, and then started directing things with uh, Splash, which has a fantasy element. Mm-hmm. The only thing I remember from him is is Cocoon, which I've mm. seen many times. Which again is primarily a drama, but with a fantasy element. Mm, yeah. But here he went full bore fantasy. He did. And he hasn't really returned to that genre since, except of course now he's going to be directing, or he has directed or rescued, is probably a more accurate description, <laughs> the new Star Wars movie. Right, which, yes. Uh, is coming out soon. Maybe by the time this pod comes out, it's it's been and gone. Oh, mm, yeah. So yes, he has returned to the Lucasfilm stable to direct a, a science fiction fantasy adventure. Mm-hmm. So that's only the second time he's done it. All right, back to Willow. This film is was was it written by Luke, uh, George Lucas? Yeah, I think he came up with the story. I think he was doing a thing that he he did on Star Wars after he directed Star Wars, which he wrote and directed. He sort of wrote the story and then handed it over to somebody else and said, right, you you turn this into a script mm-hmm. and somebody else direct it okay. and, and I'll, I'll produce. But, uh, I mean, he was a creative force to be reckoned yeah. with in terms of all the decisions that were made. Okay, but, yeah. And it stars the dream team of Warwick Davis, <laughs> Val Kilmer, Joanne Wally and Gene Marsh. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting cast. Uh, for me... As a non-Brit, the only person I knew was Val Kilmer <laughs> in that cast. Yes, um, yes. And I do know Warwick D- Davies uh, from other things, and his recent thing he did with Ricky Gervais. Is that, that's him, right? It is, yeah. yeah. Okay. So Warwick Davies, he, he has a yeah an interesting uh, career because he started off very young playing Wicket W. Warwick in Return of the Jedi, mm. where he proved to be a fine physical actor and able to bring that character to life through, through layers of fake fur. Mm. And, and so was given a leading role, although he's not top build, he comes third. Yeah. But he is the main character in this movie. Mm. Um, He was, he was also in Labyrinth as well as a goblin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And all the Harry Potter movies, I think he's Professor Flitwick in that and Mm. various other characters I think he plays. And he's, he's, I think he's in many of the Star Wars movies. Yeah. As different characters. As different characters. Yeah. Yeah, And some suit or another. So he's had a very uh, prolific Mm. career. He was also in the, uh, the Leprechaun movies, which (laughs) I haven't seen any of. But he's in I all of them. I haven't seen any of. <laughs> I don't know. Would they? Are they down there in the oubliette? Uh, they could be. They could be right all the way down there, though. Should we shout and find out? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Leprechaun, are you in there? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
The the other actors, uh, Val Kilmer, obviously, is the most famous. And uh, I didn't know who Joanne Wally was. No, and she came out of British stage and, and TV dramas. And she'd been in, in a few movies prior to that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, She and she went on to appear in several other films with... Val Kilmer because of course they they got married yeah after, they fell in love on the set of this movie yeah I, I read about that but then they yeah. divorced in 1996 they did so she was <laughs> 96 yeah they had a couple of kids though I think oh, okay yeah so yeah she she was Joanne Wally Kilmer for quite some time she oh, was double barreled right like Courtney Cox Arquette yeah uh, yes and the other ones that I can't think the of other one <laughs> that you can't bring to mind. Um, yeah. Yes. So it's an interesting cast, all sort of at the beginning of their careers, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Because the main focus of this, I suppose, is the special effects and the story, which I guess we should try to summarize. Before we get into that, just one more, one last thing. I found it really impressive as well, and and interesting, and also surprising that the lead character is a Little person. Yes, which hasn't been done very often. I think Time Bandits is one of the few other examples yeah. I can think of. Yeah, uh, I can't think of any others. No, I mean, I think of supporting characters. Peter Dinklage did a, a great turn in, of course. Um, in Bruges and is is a, a great character in Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. despite his slightly dodgy British accent, oh, bless yes. him. <laughs> it's good, though. It's fun to listen to. Mm. Um, and he's a great actor and... I don't know. Did Vern Troyer ever have a, a lead role? I God don't, rest him. Don't know who that is. Vern Troyer. So he was Mini Me oh, in yes, the Austin Powers course. movies, yeah. and he passed recently, sadly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The only one I can think of is Peter Dinklage. He has been in other role, uh, movies where he has been the main character. Mm. Uh, like I think he was in The Station Agent. Okay. Uh, which is a pretty good film, actually. Mm. I haven't seen that. Anyway, so. The plot of Willow. Uh, it is a bit confusing, the plot. I did find the plot confusing. A little bit confusing. So, there is an evil queen. Yep. And she's evil and uh, rules the world. The land. Apparently. The whole yeah. land. And mm. and she there's a prophecy that a baby is uh, going to gonna be born and overthrow her reign, as it seems. Mm. And so, she goes around... Killing all babies. Yeah, she t- she goes full King Herod. <laughs> yeah. And just starts killing babies. Killing all babies. And there's this one baby <laughs> that has this mark that I guess symbolises the, the chosen one. Um, mm. And that baby gets rescued and whisked away by the, uh, the midwife. Mm. And, uh, and then a chase ensues. And then the baby is put on a conveniently placed grass <laughs> raft and then the, yeah, floats yeah, down. It just happens, <laughs> just happens to be there. Yeah. Floats, down, really handy. floats downstream and is discovered by our main character, uh, Willow. Yes, who is a little person and lives in a village of little people. Mm. And uh, I think they're called, to... they're called Nel- Nelwins. Nelwins, yes, in, in the film, and they, and they have to, uh, yeah, they do, after the village comes under threat from external forces looking for the baby, they decide to send him out, initially just to get rid of the thing. I think you know, just go to the the nearest crossroad for normal sized 
people. People. Yeah. I shouldn't say that. I should say average-sized people. Yeah. Who are called daikinis. Yeah. I like that. And they're sort of... Name. That's quite a nice name, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> kind of reminds um, me of something you would add in a stir fry or something. Yeah. Or a cocktail. <laughs> I'll have a daikini. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to a crossroads basically to give the baby away and a whole series of adventure in, ensues. That's where he meets Val Kilmer, mm-hmm. who is a cell sword, who is in a crow cage left behind to rot because he's disgraced himself in some way. Mm -hmm. And they end up giving him the baby, but then the baby's captured and then they'd have to chase to rescue the baby. And Uh, A series of events follows finding some sorcerer um, and and then she's needed to defeat the evil queen and then Mm. many battles. Shall we go into spoilers? I think we, we can go into spoilers. Um, and then they defeat the queen and she gets whisked off into the clouds as a, Indeed. Gr- as a red cloud of blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the happy ending everyone wants. Yeah. And, and Willow gets a magic book and... Everyone gets nice clean clothes and new hairdos. And new hairdos and a new costume and they live happily ever after. Yeah. The end. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's basically the plot. And it's sort of George Lucas applying the same Campbell story theory approach mm. that he did in Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. So you could say that, uh, you know, you have a hero and he has a quest and he has to learn something about himself and he has uh, characters that help him and characters that hinder him. Yeah. And, and uh, an evil character that has to be defeated. And we can talk about some of the parallels with Star Wars when we go into discussing and reviewing the film. Yes. Yeah, we'll be right back. So, Dan, we picked this one. We've both seen it. It's a yes. it's like a childhood nostalgia special. Mm-hmm. Childhood nostalgia. Uh, I remember the film pretty well. You thought you remembered the film pretty well, but then you watched it <laughs> and had a slightly different experience. Yeah, so I thought I'd seen this film many times as a kid, but mm. I I didn't quite recall it. And uh, so when I when I put in the DVD player, push play, I thought, oh, wow, yeah, it's all coming back. It's all coming back. And then after five minutes into the film, everything was brand new and I didn't remember <laughs> any of it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I guess maybe either I completely forgot it as a, you know, easily distracted child or I... Um, just hadn't seen it at all. <laughs> no, or saw the opening scene with the baby and the mm. floating down the river. And then just went away and played played in the sandpit or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fell asleep. <laughs> Where should we start? Should we talk about uh, the plot of the movie? I mean, we, we were, I was sort of hinting before at the similarities with Star Wars. Mm. And if you think, if I sort of describe to you a young man who works on a farm 
comes into possession of a, a small person who is very important to the defeat of the most evil person that rules over the land and goes on a series of adventures and has a wise cracking guy who might be helping him but might just be selfish mm. and, and a sorcerer yeah. and uh, he wants to learn the ways of sorcery but he's not sure whether he's going to be any good at it and you'd you'd hear bells ringing i mm. think mm. i mean i when i watched it i did pick out similarities between willow and star wars i also picked out very a lot of similarities between willow and uh lord of the rings as well oh right yeah that's interesting. which is also about a small person going on a quest and being you know um completely uh no one has any faith in, you know, this little person mm. being able to to overthrow this big evil force, mm. uh, which is very similar to Lord of the Rings. And even some of the scenes uh, where he gets that, when he meets up with that uh, fairy goddess yeah, thing. Shalindria. Uh, yeah, Yeah, very similar to in Lord of the Rings where he talks to the elf uh, Elfin Queen, yeah, Galadriel, um, which ha- also has a very similar look to her, very glowing white, mm. bluey hues. Um, yeah, a lot of similarities between Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. And that—that's that, um, his whole. Um, th- the whole theory behind it was that he looked at the, the you know, Campbell's theory that most. Uh, stories share these common elements and that you could break them down and codify them. So he took that Mm. and then created the story of Star Wars to match that and created something that has become uh, an an iconic cultural artefact that everybody, uh, Mm. pretty much everybody loves, everybody has seen, everybody can reference. So it worked. Yeah. Does it work did he manage to pull it off again? I guess is the question. I think if if you hadn't seen Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, um, and you just watch this completely blind, mm. I think it it does. I think it is very well pulled off. I think the characterization and and the story and the and the the quest uh, works really well. And this this genre like fantasy adventure is probably my favourite genre mm. of film. I just love the journey and the character development and meeting all these crazy, quirky characters along the way and overcoming ad- adversar- mm. adversary... Adversary? <laughs> Adversity. <laughs> Adversity. <laughs> um, what did you think? Uh, well, I, I always liked it. I didn't love it. I mean, I had a whole series of films as a child that I loved to watch on VHS over and over again mm. because I get your violin out. I was a bullied child, Dan, if you can oh. believe that or not. So I used to have these this collection of films that I used to watch, particularly on a Sunday night, so sort of like when the, the death knell was ringing on the weekend and mm. I knew I was going to have to go back to school. And looking back, a lot of them had similar themes. They were all about kids my age escaping into a fantasy world and having an adventure mm. and being a hero and possibly never coming back. <laughs> so yeah, I Never ending story. Never ending story, The Last Starfighter, mm. Return to Oz, mm. Explorers, uh, various films that actually are in the oubliette and, and we may come back to those because they're all childhood mm. favorites of mine and I'd be interested to watch them 
um, again with the nostalgia goggles firmly off. <laughs> but Willow was never one of my top favourites. Mm. There are some things that I struggle with. I mean, Warwick Davis, he's achieved a lot and I, you know, hats off to him. But I have to say, I've never thought he was a particularly fine actor. Mm. I think he's gotten better and I think we have to remember when he was given the title role in Willow, mm. he was 17. Yeah. So it's a lot for him to carry on his shoulders. But I just feel as though the first 20 minutes of the movie is primarily in the Nelwyn village. Mm. And little people are rare, so casting is hard. Mm -hmm. I think it's the largest assemblage of little people ever put on film. I think there are 300 of them in the village scenes, mm. which is yeah. amazing. And um, I believe Warwick Davis met his future wife there as well, which is there's yeah. lots of romance in this movie. Mm. But I just think they're just, the acting is just, I mean, probably the worst one is the prefect, Burblecut who's sort of his antagonist in the village, Willow's antagonist. Oh, yeah. And every single line reading of his is just terrible. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I completely agree with that. <laughs> so you've got 20 minutes of bad line readings mm. before the quest even begins. And it's 50 minutes before there's an action scene. Mm. So it, it's a, it takes a long time to get going. Once it gets going, once Mad Martikan is on the scene... Val Kilmer's character mm. and it's a series of captures and escapes and chases I think it really does come into its own and it works a lot better but I always feel as though it's sort of hamstrung by Warwick Davis being a little bit wooden mm. I mean, he's doing his best but I don't necessarily believe him as a character yeah I don't think Warwick, uh, Warwick Davis was, was so bad but I felt like his supporting cast was it's, mm. I mean it's, at the start at least yeah um, and they kind of made it worse mm. <laughs> um, definitely when when Val Kilmer appeared there was a lot more chemistry mm. and like natural chemistry and humour and it wasn't as clunky. Um, yeah. There definitely were a lot of scenes uh, towards the start that were just very drawn out, and I just wanted them to end. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a lesson in how much movie making has changed. I'm not sure a mm. movie now would trust its audience's patience to go this long because the, the film is a hundred. Well, I mean, movies are long now. I mean, these, you know, Avengers movies are you know, two hours and mm. 40 minutes or whatever. But, and, and at the end yeah. of those, I just want them to end. <laughs> but just in terms of storytelling to go at this kind of pace and to build a world, which I think they do quite convincingly here. Mm, I think, I they, think do. they do. Yeah. But yeah, to go 20 minutes, 50 minutes before the first action scene, which is the escape from the tavern. Mm. It's a long time to trust your audience to just mm. get used to being in this world and being with this character. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Uh, and there are a lot of things in terms of the plot that just didn't seem to make sense. It was just very convenient, I guess. Right. Even even the, the character uh, that Joanne Wally and played um, Saoirse. Bav Morda's daughter, no less, so mm. pretty evil. Yeah, I mean, she was supposed to be evil, but I, I kind of had the kind of facepalm moment when when she she was just completely enamoured by Val Kilmer's <laughs> bravado 
that she suddenly turned size, <laughs> changed size, it just seemed a little bit completely implausible. Yeah. And the whole, you know, damsel in distress thing, like, I was just, oh, oh no. I thought she was such a strong female lead, uh, sort of role, but then she ends up being all flaky and, oh, just kiss me, Val. <laughs> <laughs> she's not quite that bad. I, I know, think. I know. She's she does bad. sort of wander in a daze whilst staring at Val Kilmer's bravery yeah. um, th- in the courtyard. Uh, but finally, when she gets to the point where he doesn't know whether she's going to kill him or not, yeah. and she she puts this her sword to one side, grabs him by the armor, pulls him up and kisses mm. him. So it's still, she's still very much um, has agency. She's still yeah, in charge. Yeah. She's calling the shots. Sure, sure. And she, when she's kidnapped, she does punch him in the face, kick him in the groin and, and run away. Mm. So she still has some agency. And I think her character is actually missing a subplot. Mm. Tira's lean is where her father is. And the old man that you see frozen in the crystal that that they look at is actually her father. So she sort of finds out that her mother has frozen her father in rock. No way. That would make much more sense. It does. (laughs) So she... She realizes, yeah, she realizes that her mother's. I mean, I don't know how it's a surprise to her (laughs) that that this woman that's murdering babies left, right, and centre is evil. (laughs) But this comes as a shock to her when she finds out what she did to her father. And her father is actually at the end when everybody's got their new hairdos and they all look lovely. What? No. The the old guy with the the grey hair that stood behind her looking kindly and happy, that's her dad. But the whole subplot was was excised just to try and bring the running time down, which Mm. is 126 minutes, but it does leave Saoirse without a very key piece of information that that justifies her sudden change of heart. Yeah, right, okay. So this is the Tira's Lean sequence, which is my favourite sequence in the movie. I actually wish that were the finale because I think the combination... There are so many things happening in that scene. Mm. Val Kilmer trying to take on a whole army single-handed with booby traps, uh, Willow battling trolls and accidentally creating a two-headed dragon that's just eating everybody, (laughs) which is this wonderful stop-motion creation by Phil Tippett, Mm. which, you know, it's it's kind of hokey to look at it now, but still it's beautifully, I mean, it's probably the finest example of stop-motion. It's towards Mm. the end of stop-motion's life in in film, cusp of digital effects. Um, this film, this film was was kind of yeah, was very on the edge in terms of using a lot of traditional, old school um, film techniques and, and effects as well as new stuff. And mm. apparently, was the first film to use the computer effect um, known as morphing. Yeah, um, and they even I think they even coined the term morphing. They did, yeah. So some the the digital branch of Industrial Light of Magic. They'd been experimenting and doing various things up until this point. So there was a stained glass window character in the young Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. movie that was a sort of their first attempt at a, a digitally rendered character. Yeah. But the morphing sequence where Willow transforms Finn Rosell back to her human form because Bav Maud has mm. cast a spell on her and turned her into I don't know what is she in the beginning a possum yeah she what's what is really hilarious and I I was just cracking up immensely um that possum is a very common possum in Australia right <laughs> it's actually a, a common 
brush tail Australian possum, which okay. you can, if I go outside tonight, I could probably <laughs> spot one because they're very common. Um, it was, well, try talking to it. <laughs> you never know. Apparently it was quite bitey and uh, Warwick was terrified of it. Um, and especially that scene where, where the possum is on his, his shoulder, he, he thought the possum was just going to bite his earlobes off. But there were, there were quite a lot of scenes that he was actually a, pretty terrified of. Um, the, the snow scene where they're sledding down the hill on a shield, mm. um, he said they had to do it like 12 times. <laughs> and each time was just as terrifying as the last. Because um, he had, apparently he has a... a, a innate fear of roller coasters right and this was pretty much a simulation of a roller coaster really. it was yeah it does fit into that uh, that 80s thing of people going down a bit of a roller coaster because i think you get the same thing with a, an inflatable raft in indiana jones mm. and the temple of doom and of course you have the goonies you have just basically they all mm. just stop for five minutes to go down a water slide yeah which you know is all good fun. I mean, one of that's one of the worst effects in the in the film. I think is there's a, when you cut to wide shots of the sled going down the hill with supposedly Willow in it. I mean, it's so obvious that he's just a dummy that's mm. ro- rocking around. But <laughs> that's fair I, enough. <laughs> I mean, the the baby as well. Um, uh, there were there were two dummies they used um, for for the action mm. scenes for the baby. And one of them was just a dummy that didn't do anything. Another one was, I think they dubbed it like Roto Baby or Moto Baby or something. <laughs> and, and it was a motorized baby that could, I think it turned its head from side to side. Mm. But apparently it was, it was heavier than the actual baby. So <laughs> <laughs> it was really cumbersome to carry around. And once you, you are aware that it is a motorized baby, there are lots of scenes that look ridiculous because this baby's just going backwards and forwards very really? naturally yeah <laughs> oh i i didn't notice that i mean the baby is very good for all the hero shots where they focus on mm. on her face oh so good because she does lots of things like eyebrow raises mm. and i don't know what they did i guess they just had a second unit that just filmed the baby for for an afternoon <laughs> yeah i think and i think waited for her to do things pretty much what they did so after after shooting, they'll just do a big chunk of just baby expressions. Mm. Props to the baby. I think it was there were twins that played the baby. Yeah, yeah. probably one of the standout performances of the film. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has to be said. I mean, one thing that we do try to t- to touch on in 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 our reviews is is acting, and I have to say. I'm, I've never been all that fond of Val Kilmer either. <laughs> yeah, as an as an actor, I find him a little bit arch and not terribly serious. But actually, it works for Mad Martigan, mm. I think, because I don't think he's a very serious guy. No. I think it works for him in this role because he's he is sort of an, an opportunist. Um, and actually, you talk about Saoirse's change of heart being surprising. This sort of sudden scene where James Horner's music is swelling up, mm. where uh, somebody that used to fight alongside Mad Martigan is saying to Willow, "He's a he's a liar and a thief, and he won't he won't um, stay with you." Mm. And Val Kilmer stands up and stands forward and says that he he serves 
He serves Willow. He mm. serves the Nelwyn. And I think, well, that's great. It's beautiful. But why? Mm. I, yeah. I, I can't see why he does it. I, that's another kind of plot kind of a point that I found in the film that didn't really make sense. Mm. Um, just a lot of decisions or, or changes of character that were convenient for mm. the plot, but pretty implausible. Apparently Val Kilmer was great fun to work with, uh, according mm. to Warwick Davis. And he said that Val Kilmer was always just pulling pranks and telling jokes all the time. And often mm. for a lot of the scenes where um, it would just be the shot of Warwick and Val would be on the other side, you know, delivering lines, mm. uh, Val would be pulling faces and um, just kind of, trying to make it more comical and more um, sort of easing the tension in terms of being on set. And apparently a lot of Val's lines were ad-libbed as well. And a lot of the things that he did were completely improvised. Yeah. He does, he does do a wonderful thing that I've only seen. I can only think of in another movie, which is big trouble in little China with um, Kurt Russell, Mm. which is he plays a character who thinks he's fantastic but he's actually not not that great mm. and he doesn't mind playing that i mean with yeah. with big trouble in little china it caused problems with the studio because they just didn't get jack burton okay the, the, this guy that was just thought he was great but he's actually pretty dumb and useless in most scenes like the whole finale of big trouble in little china he's passed out on the floor because he's fired a gun into the ceiling and (laughs) the debris comes down and knocks him out and mad martigan has a touch of that too like he he does this wonderful bit of sword play Mm. in the sort of snowy mountaintop camp to while they're trying to escape from there Mm. and Warwick Davis looks at him and says, you are great. Yeah. And and he he looks, looks satisfied with himself, twirls his sword and then falls over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, but I, I think that's so endearing though, you know. It I, is, yeah. He is the life of the film, I have to say. Mm. You've convinced me on that. I think he does bring it to life. Mm. That's why I probably do feel it for the first 20 minutes of the movie in the Nelwyn village. It's I'm waiting for Mad Martigan to arrive mm. because yeah. he does more in terms of the bringing life and, and comedy to the film than the characters who I believe are meant to, yeah. which is the brownies. Yeah. I mean, they were a bit hammy at times mm. or most of the time, but I, I quite liked them. I mean, I guess the thing that was most distracting was the the green, blue screen effect mm. to make them look small, which on DVD or Blu-ray looks horrible because it doesn't Mm. they they don't look in the scene at all but i watched um i think it was the trailer or the little um behind the scenes um video of it and it was i must have been a transfer from a vhs or something but those scenes look really good on VHS. Right. Okay. So I think at the time of release and when people were watching it on their home videos, you couldn't tell a difference. No. But on DVD or, or HD, Blu-ray, it's very obvious. It is, yeah. It really shows yeah. the limit. They were pushing optical compositing 
the chemical version of it in any case to it mm. to its limits at, at, at this point towards the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s mm. and i think that's one thing you know people argue about oh cgi cgi it's so horrible and i think i think in a lot of ways it is it, it you know lazy mass-produced cgi mm. on characters and on map paintings isn't quite as good as practical stuff mm. But when it comes to compositing, I think that's one thing that computers really have helped oh, us course. to improve by yeah. a, a long way. Yeah, I mean, they they did a pretty good job. I saw some of the um, behind the scenes of the morphing scene when uh, mm. Willow is transforming Finn Rosell and she goes from, I think, a goat to a ostrich to a <laughs> peacock to a tortoise yeah. to, a, to a tiger and then finally to her human form. Um, yeah. And it does look really obvious with the compositing, but if you watched what they had to work with, mm. it was a pretty good job. I mean... They did, yeah. yeah. I think, again, it's still chemically, optically composited into the film. Mm. But, um, yeah, the morphing in itself was groundbreaking at the time. And there was one part of it that I really like, which is the the tiger's head going down and her yes. going down. There's lots yeah. of things happening there in terms of the way that its face collapses and changes that's mm. r- really interesting uh, visually. And I could see why it, it dazzled people at the time. Yeah. It's only yeah. one short sequence. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it took a lot of innovation to create that that sequence and mm. i think after that everyone wanted to use morphing and suddenly yeah. it was using <laughs> everything like the, the the prime example i can think of is that michael jackson um music video uh, mm. where he's he's morphing into Black all these people white. yeah yeah that one mm. um that was i think that was the first time i remember watching it which again it. was was groundbreaking at the time, but oh, now yes. you look at it and it's kind of quaint. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it became it became uh, an effect that everyone used, and then mm. no one wanted to use anymore. <laughs> yeah, <ever laughs> because again. it was just everywhere. Yeah, but there were there were a lot of other effects that they did that were really well done. I really I did really like all the the when they had all the close ups of the brownies. Um, the tiny little fairy dudes, um, mm. and they had the giant sets. I love that. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Reminds me of you know, Honey, I Shrunk the, shrunk the Kids. It's, it's sometimes that's thing. not done very well. The props, are, but the production design on this is uniformly. You know, it's a lavish production. It mm. does look great. Yeah, and I think if the brownies don't work in the movie, I think it's because they were just so divorced from the production. Like you say, with the chemistry with Warwick Davis mm. and with Val Kilmer and Joanne Wally actually works the 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 scene in the hut where Val Kilmer's had a a pixie love potions smacked in his face and and falls in love with her temporarily the comic interplay there is is really very good and the I think the brownies struggle because they're they're just clearly were never on set no they they were just off filming on a giant set or in front of a blue screen so there's there's just no chemistry Mm, there mm. I mean, I, I think I think they were the last thing for them to film. I think they filmed everything, mm. and then they filmed the brownies doing the blue screen stuff at the end. Um, yeah. So they had literally nothing to work with. I mean, apart from no. they they could watch the the cuts mm. thus far, but yeah, they didn't have anyone to work with. Um, I thought, no. and 
you maybe disagree, but I thought Warwick Davies did really well in acting as if the brownies were there. I thought... Yeah. I thought that was really convincing. Yeah, he does much better with his eye lines. The thing that bothers me with people trying to match eye lines in movies is quite often you can tell that a director has like held a tennis ball in front of them or whatever and said, you know, whatever it is you're looking at is here. And then the animator will move the object. Mm. The the object will fly around them or jump off them or whatever. And the actor just maintains the same eye line because they've been told to maintain this eye line and they're not following. Whereas I think Warwick was actually anticipating where the brownies would run. Like when Mm. you have the whole Gulliver's travel scene where they've Mm. captured him and he's tied to the ground. Um, and they're standing on him and running around him. He's he is actually trying to imagine that they're there and following them mm. with his eyeline, which I thought was yeah, it is good. Um, I, one thing that I think Warwick Davies uh, mentioned was uh, Ron Howard was very very good at directing actors because Ron was an actor. And mm. so he could be he could be really explicit with what he wanted, um, whereas Warwick said that when he was on Star Wars with George Lucas, George is much more of a technical director, so he'll right. know technically what he wants, but he wouldn't be able to um, explain that to an actor like act like this, act like that. It kind of was up to the actor to interpret his direction. Yeah, and I think that's why. Harrison Ford is so just himself as Han Solo mm-hmm. because <laughs> he could just do whatever he wanted as his character as opposed to a director really pushing him in a different a specific direction. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think I seem to remember that George Lucas was famous for having only one piece of feedback to actors which was faster more intense. <laughs> right. I think that's that's all he would ever say on the set of Star Wars. So much so there's an outtake where all of them are saying it to him because they know that it's coming. <laughs> but, yeah. So Ron Howard as a director, he's biting off a lot here. I'm mm. not. I, I, I'm not entirely convinced he pulls it off. But one one area that I was surprised with looking back at it is just how good he is in coping with action, mm. because. The Tira's lean sequence when you're following multiple characters doing multiple things and mm. you're having to do cut between various different action sequences and see this person is here, this thing is affecting that, this person's fired this catapult, it's gone there, this is where the monster is, this is where the troll is mm. and where the baby is at any given point. And you're following all of this. And it is such a fine example of 80s genre film making mm. at its finest and it's the kind of thing that i get so annoyed with when i see modern films mm. because yeah. in there will be action sequences where it is just edited by somebody with attention deficit disorder and the yeah. director's approach will be well let's get it in a master shot and then just do some close-ups where i'm wiggling the hell out of the camera <laughs> and you've yeah. got no idea who is where who mm. is doing what exactly. so there's no there's no payoff. Mm. This happens, this happens, and look, oh, look, this is happening over here, and then they come together and, wow, bang, that's really exciting. It's, there's none of that. It's just a, it's just a lot of um, shaking the camera and cutting once every yeah. 0.2 seconds. It's, yeah. it's, a real, it's a really fine example of 
visual storytelling in action. It's the sort of thing that, that Raiders of the Lost Ark is so good at. It's the mm. sort of thing that, that Lucasfilm and um, Spielberg were really famous for, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I did. I, I thought that all the action sequences in, in Willow were, were incredible. Um, some of them were, I mean, I guess this film was, was it PG rated at the time? Yeah, it is. So yeah. a lot of the violence was, it's that real family fantasy violence where people were stabbed, but you don't hear the stabbings. And, and, and often people yeah. were just punched or kicked and that's all it takes to subdue a person. For, for them to fall over. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's no blood or beheadings. No blood. Or, but yeah. still, the film was criticised for being a bit too dark for its target audience. Yeah, there were two two scenes, apparently, that were cut from the, the UK release. Mm. Um, so the scene at the start with the midlife... Um, <laughs> midlife. <laughs> the midwife is attacked by the uh, the death dogs. Mm. That scene was cut. And also the the final killing scene of um, I can't remember the character's name, but I just see him as Skeletor. Um, <laughs> Kale, <laughs> the guy with the skull face. Kale, yeah, anyway, he's yeah. named after the film critic Pauline Kale. Yeah. Oh right. I don't know if that's Lucas taking a stab at critics or honouring them. I don't know, but yeah, he's, mm. he's named after Kale, so that was cut as well. Yeah. So that the killing scene of that where where uh, Mad Madigan like steps on a sword and, and, and pulls Skeletor onto the sword. It's a pretty brutal scene. <laughs> it is, um, yeah. <laughs> it's not subtle. For a kid's movie anyway. Yeah, and I think uh, the sequence where Bav Morda transforms everybody into pigs is oh, pretty horrifying. disturbing. It's horrifying. <laughs> that's that's like, you know, um, society-level <laughs> <laughs> transformation scene. Pretty, pretty terrifying. Although it does really annoy me. One of the things that bugged me even as a kid, there is a sequence where Willow comes out of the tent. He's been casting a spell to protect himself mm. under the, the direction of Finn Rizel. Yeah. So he hasn't transformed into a pig. So he comes outside and finds a field full of pigs yeah. where he once had an army. And I, there's a close-up where you look at two piglets. And I think to myself, please don't let that be supposed to be the, the brownies. brownies. Yeah. Because that is totally the wrong scale. They are far too big. <laughs> I know. I know. You know, even a micro pig would be far. There should be two small pigs um, optically composited yeah. into the scene because yeah. they're like 50 times larger than the brownies <laughs> were. I don't know. I'm hoping it's not, but I'm trying to think who else it could have been. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it, it was supposed to be the brownies. Uh, um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. It's a, it's a fantasy film. It started uh, raining. Where Has I, am. It? <laughs> I don't know whether you can hear the rain. No. <laughs> so, what did you make of speaking of sound design? What did you make of the sound design in this movie? Because this is the work of the great Ben Burt. Yeah, um, I was surprised because I normally love Ben Burt, but mm. I felt like it was. It seemed a bit makeshift to me. Mm. And there were a lot of things, even like the action scenes, and I think it's, it was done deliberately because it was more catered towards family and the, the, kind of the PG rating. So every time anyone got stabbed, it sounded either like someone tapping on a piece of wood <laughs> or 
uh, there was no sound at all. Yeah. So you didn't have that gut wrenching, bloody sound uh, with any any of the fight scenes. Yeah. And a lot of the scenes, um, they opted to choose a comical sound right. for something that should have not been comical. Uh, there's one scene where I think Mad Mardigan hits uh, a, one of the henchmen with a with a shovel. And there's there's like a bell tone almost to it, <laughs> uh, and it, it's very comical. There's another scene where um, Finn Rosell has used her magic, and she's she's whooping around um, Beth Morda on the ceiling, and it's just this woof, 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 <laughs> sound to it, which sounds ridiculous. But obviously, if you went the actual, you know more authentic sounds you would hear bones breaking and and, (laughs) you know like blood splatter and that sort of thing which is is not really what you want in a kids movie no and that seemed very reminiscent of lord of the rings so uh, the scene with um i think christopher lee makes gandalf fly around the ceiling doesn't he and oh yeah yeah i love that whole wizard's duel though that well witches in this case mm. i wish it went on for longer actually i really like the two of them sparring with each other mm. I, I liked it how it started off using magic mm. and then they just ended up punching each other in the face <laughs> yeah, it just <laughs> turns into a, a like a bitchy face scratching <laughs> session on the floor doesn't it it becomes comical yeah but it starts off being really uh yeah quite intense and and magical and that the scene where uh, Finn Rizal thinks that she's bested Jean Marsh after throwing her against mm. the walls and she's got sort of part of her headdress over her face Yeah, and she yeah. pulls it off and then suddenly she roars and l- lurches toward the camera. Again, a little bit intense for kids, yeah. I suspect. It must have been nightmare material for kids. I think so. And Jean Marsh had done this twice because... She's a lovely British actress who was in a, a, a famous series here called Upstairs, Downstairs. Oh, yes. And all of a sudden she's in Return to Oz as an evil witchy mm. queen and she's in Willow as this evil and she's really relishing it. I mean, she does a fantastic job of it, oh, I think. she looks like she's enjoying herself. Yeah. But yeah. that whole thing at the end with uh, she's going to sacrifice the baby and Laura Dannon's in like red and black bondage gear on a altar. Yeah, I thought that another kind of plot point that just seemed a bit ridiculous. Mm. So she was doing a ritual to send the baby to another dimension. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, why, why not just... Kill it. Kill the baby. <laughs> I mean, I'd, surely that's a much simpler solution to a, a full-blown ritual to send the baby to another dimension. Well, uh, this is the thing. I mean, it's a, this, there's a prophecy that this baby will cause your downfall. The baby does bugger all. She, she, she goes through this whole thing of creating this thing, you know, that'll send somebody into another dimension, and lo and behold, stumbles it into it accidentally herself. Yeah, it does. Which, it does kind of. <laughs> <laughs> make the whole movie redundant because the baby doesn't do anything. So the baby is basically like, a, oh, what's the Hitchcockian word? MacGuffin. MacGuffin. No. Thank you. Yeah. I did. I did like how you expected uh, Willow to kind of win at the end by throwing the acorn. You kind of expected it. Like, when's he going to throw the acorn? Mm. When's he going to throw the acorn? And I liked it when he did throw the acorn. 
and it didn't do anything mm. and it didn't defeat the queen and he defeated the queen by doing something that he does mm. he does he did that that silly magic trick where he makes uh the pig disappear at the start and so he he does that same trick to make the baby disappear and i and i liked it because it meant that he defeated the queen himself yeah with his own abilities and his and him as as a, a nelwyn and not him as a sorcerer yeah with some magic acorn that somebody you know? else has given him i thought that was quite cool yeah it is and it ties all the way back to what billy barty who's the sort of high grand wizard who's uh looking for an apprentice every year and and his test for the um, applicants is is different each time. But in this case, he holds up his hand and says, in which which finger contains the power to control the universe or whatever. And they all mm. pick a finger and he shakes his head. And Willow hesitates, but then finally picks a finger and also fails. And Billy Barty says to him, what was your initial instinct? Later on, he says, what was your initial instinct? And he said, to pick my own finger. And he said, that was the right answer. Mm. Trust your instincts. When you go on this journey, trust your own instincts. And I think that's that's sort of what the film, the underlying message of the film is. You're not going to get some um, deus ex machina magic sword or whatever that's going to solve mm. your problems. You have to use your own ingenuity and, and use your own... Um, skills and abilities which yeah. which is yeah it's, it's a nice message to to end on i think yeah yeah and it's also nice it's also good to know that willow was the one that was responsible of saving the day mm. it wasn't man Mardigan, it wasn't finn Rizal, it was willow and it mm. was great yeah Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Movie Awards! Alright, so it's time to pick our nominations for various great categories. Let's start with favourite quote. Do you have a favourite quote from Willow, Dan? Um, there are quite a few. There were quite a few. I didn't... There weren't as many very unique quotes mm. but um there was one okay so they're in this tavern it's this very dirty filthy tavern um and um mad Mardigan is dressed as a woman in disguise <laughs> um and because he's obviously had an affair with with some woman um and so the the woman's husband comes in and he's dressed in as a woman and then he, he goes, oh, there's a woman, another woman here. So he goes, he, he, he steps up to her and he says, want to breed? And then <laughs> Val Kilmer says, tempting, but no. <laughs> That's my favourite as well. And it's actually become a, a favourite between my brother and I because we, we quite often say, Tempting, but no, <laughs> to each other. It's lived on that particular it's, line. It's a great, it's a great line. Uh, I think it's something that all men should use as a pickup line. <laughs> uh, no. Most eighties moment. Is there a definitively eighties moment in Willow? I find a lot of eighties fantasy and sci-fi. Um, there's always blue lightning. 
everywhere. <laughs> so there's, there's there's a scene where um, the, where the queen is getting struck by lightning, and I just thought, is, this is this is like Highlander. This is like a Highlander yeah. moment. Just like a big bolt of lightning, blue lightning, and just everything's blue. Um, yeah. And it's it's a very it was such a prevalent thing in, in a lot of fantasy. In the the final climactic scene, there's always thunder and lightning. No matter what, there's always going to be thunder and lightning. <laughs> yeah, I think mine would be the let's stop the movie to do a roller coaster ride on a sled. I think that just seemed to crop up in a lot of eighties movies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, have no idea why that scene was funny because. They were just going down the hill and suddenly it looked like the best ski field in the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they were just going through all these kind of locales on this this beautiful mountain. And I actually thought, are they in the Swiss Alps right now? But no, they were in Queenstown, New Zealand. Uh, I, I should have uh, I should have recognized it. Indeed, yeah. I wanted to ask, what was your favorite effect? special effect my favorite special effect would probably be the morphing scene oh yeah i think it's it's well it's groundbreaking mm-hmm. and i think it, it has to get a nod just for being a, the first example of its kind i think yeah my favorite uh special effect is when um a willow turns the troll into the the two-headed dragon right. and it just kind of dissolves um, and becomes just this pile of fur, pretty much. Yeah. And then all of these tentacle intestines spring out of it and turn it inside out into this goopy ball. And then t- <laughs> two little dragon heads emerge from it. I thought that was a pretty amazing effect. It is, yeah. You don't know where it's going either. Yeah, I know. I thought... I'd, and then suddenly it drops into the water and grows into this giant two-headed dragon. An amazing effect. Was that was that stop motion, or was that like animatronics? What? How did they even do that? The initial transformation, or the the whole. Yeah, thing? the initial transformation. Yeah, I think it's a combination. So there's stop motion with the tentacles, then the thing, the two-headed thing emerging. I think is a puppet. Yeah. Yeah, it's a multi-stage thing. It's and it's yeah, very eighties as well. That you 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 know you see one effect, you cut to Willow's reaction, then you mm. come back and it's changed. Yeah. Yeah technique into something else yeah it's a good sequence the whole Tira's lean sequence is great fantastic fantastic so best hair (laughs) um apparently everyone was just wearing wigs yeah (laughs) even willow which surprised me Mm. saucia's hair was just radiant and a, a cascade of red curls yeah which means that she looks great when she's holding a laura dannon who is who is my vote for best hair just because she's oh, yeah. a few month old baby and she's got a fulsome head of curly red hair mm. <laughs> which apparently was glued on with syrup every day because they couldn't yeah couldn't use glue because it would hurt her poor little mm. head favorite scene um tira's lean scene was oh so much going on so that, that scene was was definitely my favorite my i have a favorite moment and i don't know what it is i can't describe why it is but it's when shalindria is talking to willow in the woods oh, she yeah. disappears for a moment and willow's sort of prevaricating about whether he wants to be on this quest or not and all of a sudden shalindria reappears but enormous yeah so it's just her face and yeah. it's just advancing through the trees and there's all this interactive light 
passing through the trees and、mm. she's staring him down and saying, Elora Dannon must survive. Yeah. And it's so serious and it always makes the hair stand up、oh, on the back of my head.、Yeah. I have no idea why. It's a great performance and a, and a great effect. And、yeah. it really does hammer home. This is important. There's real jeopardy here.、Mm. It was a very cool effect as well. So they suspended the actress. And they, they did the whole you know, music video thing where they, they, they play the scene like sped up、mm-hmm. and then they slow it down. So everything looks very fluid with her movements. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a real fantastic fantasy moment. And、mm. It always gets me every time I watch it.、Um, I also I d- did really like the scene where、uh, Willow is battling,、um, it looks like, I don't know, like a, a coal. <laughs> a stand or something, but it's full、yeah. of bones for some reason. What is that、um, thing? I don't know where the hell Bav Morda shops for her furniture. That's just crazy. <laughs> but it was a very cool effect. I, I, was, that, was that stop motion? I think it、um, is, yeah. And then it was blue screened on, composited.、Mm. Oh, I thought it was very well choreographed because, again,、um, Warwick had nothing、mm. to act in front of. Um, and he does a good job. Yeah, I think he does well. And finally, sound effect. And as per usual, I have a nomination for worst sound effect. Yeah, I have, I have a nomination for inexplicable sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> there's a scene where、uh, Mad Mardigan is in the crow cage,、mm. um, but they haven't met it. So the, the Nelwins are just having a rest at the crossroads and they've got the baby and they haven't met Mad Mardigan yet. So, and, and then there's this. Kind of wailing sou- siren sound. Oh, yeah.、Um, and it's never explained. No. Because suddenly Mad Monaghan's there, and surely he couldn't have made that sound because it sounded like it was coming from like the distance. Yeah. I was waiting for Obi Wan Kenobi to turn up. Yeah. I, I don't know. Was it just purely a sound to make you feel on edge as yeah, the audience?、So. And then、yeah. not explain it whatsoever. <laughs> <No> . I think it's supposed to be they're out in the woods far away from home and there are monsters out here. I don't know. It's very odd. Yeah. It was very odd because it wasn't a night scene either. It was,、no. it was like a day scene. So it didn't have that creepy, like, <laughs> oh, it could be a wolf or something. It was just, yeah, wasn't explained. Random howling. <laughs> For me, it's, it's the fact that the Wilhelm scream is used、yeah. three, times <laughs> three times in the movie. It's fair enough that the、well. Wilhelm scream is in Lord of the Rings once in each movie.、Hmm. And you think that's fair enough because it's an in gag. It's、yeah. a three hour movie. It happens once. You go, oh, there it is. But I, I have、times. never. In the life of me, heard the Wilhelm scream twice in a movie.、Yeah. Normally once. Is the quota, you know?、Mm. It's funny, it's a gag, everyone gets it. But three times, <laughs> yeah. I blame George Lucas、mm. for it because I bet he was the instigator for that. Because, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's in all of his films, right? So, in、it、all is, the Star、yeah. Wars movies, all the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, so I just blame George Lucas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the end of the Moobly Awards. What I was really impressed with the film was、uh, it was very ambitious. 
in terms of just sheer the sheer scale of some of the sets. Like the two castles mm. were insanely amazing. Yeah. Especially the the final castle. Apparently the entire castle was a set that they had to build in some quarry somewhere. Um, in New Zealand, I think. It's the last castle? No, I thought the last castle was in Eng- England. Uh, it says here, uh, good old trusty Wikipedia, it says here, Tongariro National Park. I don't know if I'm pronouncing yes. that correctly. It, no, that's, that is correct. In New Zealand was chosen to house Bavmorda's Castle. So huh, the quarry must be there. I wonder if it's, is, is it the same place that they did Helm's Deep, I wonder? Uh, I can't remember because that was a quarry as yeah. well, if I recall. Yeah, there was, I, and Mordor was also a quarry. Yes, uh, Mordor <laughs> was actually in Wellington and it was above a highway. Oh, right. So, okay. uh, you could drive past Mordor every day <laughs> if you wanted to, and many people did. Uh, yeah, so I was really impressed by the. Just, just the sheer ambition of of Willow, and even even the battle scenes, like that's a lot of extras. Yeah, uh, the army scenes, they were all just extras. Mm. It's really nice seeing actual people yeah. <laughs> in crowd scenes <laughs> again, as opposed to crowd scenes now. It's all just duplicates. Uh, it is, CGI. and the thing with CGI is they go too far, so you end up with here's a crowd of three billion. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> And it's all just like CGI dots, really. Yeah. And you know it's fake, so your brain just, you know, the scale just doesn't impress you because, you uh, computer graphics. Mm. Whereas a scene with, like, yeah. 500 extras looks really impressive. Mm. I mean, obviously, there were a few scenes where you could tell we're just looking at five people um, <laughs> all on back on close-ups. Um, yeah. But um, I, I don't know. I, I would rather prefer to see actual people as extras rather than CGI crowds. Mm. Um, also, it's really it was really nice to see real smoke again mm. because I can't stand CGI smoke. CGI <laughs> okay. smoke and CGI mist. Uh, there's <laughs> something about it that just doesn't, it's not convincing to me. No. But yeah, there was a lot of smoke in a lot of the scenes. Uh I especially love the last battle scene where there's there's smoke and there's rain and then there's one there's a few shots um kind of looking up at Mad Mulligan and it's blue sky. Oh. <laughs> so you can tell it's actually an, a pretty nice day and they've just got <laughs> A million hoses uh, <laughs> raining down on everyone. <laughs> yeah, not not as easy to fix back then as it would be now. Mm. I mean, in terms of criticisms of the film, there are some things we've talked about that I just don't understand, like Mad Martigan's whole motivation and Saoirse's mm. without her, her key plot line. I mean, one thing that really always bugged me was the whole business of the dust of broken hearts. So the the brownies have this fairy dust that oh yes that if you inhale it or I don't know get punched in the face with it it seems yeah you fall in love with and I think I'm right they say the next person you see isn't that hmm. yeah well yeah and then of course Mad Mulligan sees Willow yeah as the first person <laughs> and doesn't fall in love with Willow doesn't fall in love with Willow or the brownies 
Oh, or yeah. Finn Rizal. He waits no. until he gets into Saoirse's tent and then falls in love with her. Mm, so even very convenient. Very convenient. So even if it's you fall in love with who you are normally sexually attracted to, gender wise, yeah, and species wise, which isn't true because one of the brownies falls in love with a cat. cat yeah. <laughs> so if it's just gender, then he should have fallen in love with Finn Rizal mm. or Elora Dannon, which would have been <laughs> really <laughs> creepy. It's nearly as bad as that werewolf guy in the Twilight movies that's in love with a baby. <laughs> I didn't I didn't watch them because uh, I couldn't get past the first one. I couldn't get past the first one either. I just heard about it. But it's um <laughs> couldn't bring myself to try but yeah it's so that that whole thing but i mean the scene is so fun anyway that i think it's yeah i think it's fine i i heard that they had they shot that scene again because the first time they shot it val and joanne were not a couple and then the second time they shot it uh ron thought there's going to be a lot more chemistry now because they are a couple okay and there was a lot of quite a lot of sexual tension in that scene mm. that was very genuine. Yeah, I think Val Val's delivery of his line, your touch is worth 100,000 deaths, is actually, yeah, it's, it's I mean, he's he's hamming it up because he's under a spell or mm. whatever, but actually it's quite um, moving. And a lot of that is because of James Horner's score. I don't know if we want to talk about Oh, that. James Horner's score was beautiful. It is. I mean, it really carried the film. It does, um, yeah. A lot of scenes that were quite clunky were pushed through because of the score. Yeah. Um, I did think at the start, but now that I, in hindsight, I think it was just bad acting. So the whole uh, Nelwyn village thing at the start, I felt that the score was too present. There was too much score mm. in that scene, but it was probably to cover up the bad acting and line delivery. Yeah, I think it um, is. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a glorious, big, full-bodied uh, 80s symphonic fantasy score, London Symphony Orchestra, mm. King's College Choir from Cambridge. Yeah. Close to my heart. And Shakuhachi. It was a Shakuhachi. Yeah, feature solo Interesting. instrument. Yeah. Because I thought it was, but I thought, what's a Japanese instrument doing this? It's medieval fantasy. <laughs> yeah. But um, it makes sense, though. I mean, often a lot of scores, especially more fantasy scores, they will employ some sort of strange instrument to mm. carry it along. And because, you know, the listeners, the audience are not used to that sort of timbral sound. Mm. And, yeah, it really worked. It really worked. It's very breathy, um, lots of... Um, sort of tonal falls and stuff uh, mm. with with the instrument. Very well done. Very well. It done. is, and they use it in a lot of interesting and experimental ways as well, which I think is 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 interesting. It does add a real character mm. to the film. I mean, I think it the the score is guilty of of James Horner's famous or infamous danger motif, okay, which is used for Bav Morder and her army. So it's it's the the brassy motif where it goes da da da. Ah, right. Which, if you sort of follow through all of James Horner's scores, you you will find <laughs> da 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 ah, in there. Okay, 
in, I, in quite a few of them. I found some of the, the little motifs in Willow were quite similar to Star Wars as well. Right. So okay. the whole, you know, brass to symbolize evil mm. uh, is quite similar to some of the of John Williams stuff that he did for Star Wars. Mm. Yeah. Scores great. It is, yeah. I think scores in fantasy films deserve a lot of um, praise mm. because they have to create a world that, that the audience will recognise and go along with and, and cover up and paper over and join together a lot of, you know, frankly, weird shit on screen. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a place where I find lots of score artists like Jerry Goldsmith and James Horner and John Williams, all the Jays, just excelled themselves. Yeah, I mean, I I do feel there is a lot more characterization that is conveyed with score. You know, mm-hmm. there are themes that symbolize, you know, the good guys and the bad guys, and and there's a lot more to play with, and it can be quite overt as well. It it's mm. almost better if it is overt, whereas with all these Marvel movies, everything just is either an ominous tone or just jarring percussion. And that's all they need. Yeah, the Marvel movies, I think, are quite famous for having entirely failed to create a, a, a good score. No themes whatsoever. No, <laughs> and you've, you've got an, an opportunity to build an entire universe and you're using cut, cut and paste. Copying other scores that are just copying other scores that are just copying other scores. So everything's yeah. just a big smush of nothing memorable oh yeah just ostinatos and and percussion and yeah sound design now it's time for random trivia okay as usual dan has a random trivia moment for us so originally one of my random trivia moments has already been said uh, by you conrad <laughs> Oops, sorry. originally it was going to be the uh the the hair on on Elora's uh, head being glued on with syrup. Uh, I have another one. The uh, the pig that um, Willow is using to plough the fields somehow. As one does, uh, yeah. Was called Rambo. Rambo. <laughs> and apparently was very feisty and would continuously just run off. <laughs> <laughs> and the handlers would just be chasing this ginormous pig um, in the fields. Yeah. Okay, people, now it's time for the final verdict for Willow. And what do you think, Conrad? Well, I think this film does deserve to be watched. I do think it's a a fine example of 80s fantasy escapist adventure. And I think it puts a a lot of films that are foisted upon children today to shame Mm. i think it's convincingly creates a a fantastic world it's got really vivid characters some fantastic action set pieces some innovative effects for the time i think it holds up and i think at the end of the 
126 minute running time, you really do feel like you've been on an adventure with this character. Hmm. I I think as well, I, I think there are a lot of fantasy films that came out in the 80s that are hoisted up a lot more compared to Willow. And I, I feel that Willow deserves mm. to also be on that same level mm. with Never Ending Story and Dark Crystal and Princess mm. Bride. Um, I think it's better than The Princess Bride. I know everyone will hate me for saying wow. that, but I really, <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I think it has interest, more interesting characters, um, better action sequences, more innovative and interesting effects as well. I, I like that it, it used a culmination of lots of different optical effects, practical effects, um, mm. computer effects to to make it much more magical and fantastical. Mm. And also seeing it on VHS would have been more effective because seeing it <laughs> on DVD or, or Blu-ray, you can really see the effects and you know when it's happening. Yeah, but I still that's, think that's the problem up. with DVD and Blu-ray and now 4K. I mean, it's like, like with Star Wars, uh, the garbage mats around the edges of spaceships, you can actually see the squares that yeah. are just sort of drawn around. <laughs> but you wouldn't have seen that on VHS. Mm. So I think, yeah, it would have been good. There are definitely still some flaws in in this movie, plot points and some characterizations that don't make any sense. But mm. overall, I love the characters. I think the characters are very endearing. And I do feel a huge sense of achievement at the end. And mm. it's a nice conclusion. Yeah. And also great starting point for, for Warwick Davies' career as well, because mm. this was his first role where you could actually see his face and it wasn't covered up with makeup or <laughs> a big yeah. fuzzy um, Ewok kid, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot to put on his shoulders, and I think he's been under makeup, you know, as Leprechauns and, mm. and Professor Flitwick and and so on ever since. In the, in those roles, he always manages to make a, a character shine through all of the prosthetics mm. and, and and fur. I think in this one, it's a bit of a challenge for him as a seventeen-year-old to to be the leading man and be in pretty much every scene. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think it. I think you're right. I think he gets better when he has somebody to play off of, mm. who is an actual is, actor. Uh, a, <laughs> yeah, an actual actor. <laughs> yeah. Rather than, I think you could probably trim down the first twenty minutes in the mm. Nelwyn village and get the story going a little faster. Yeah, but other than that, I think the pacing is is pretty good once it gets going. Mm. Yeah, I also thought production design wise, uh, incredible. Mm. Incredible um, costume designs, incredible set pieces and props. Um, very convincing. Also, location, mm. beautiful, of course, beautiful New Zealand, but also <laughs> um, the other forest scenes in, in England and Wales. Really well done and very well put together with the matte paintings as well. Yeah. It's great to see lots of location shooting. There's nothing more expansive and, and that there's nothing that feels more like you're going on an adventure than mm. watching somebody taking a trek across a vast landscape. Yeah. And it's something that that New Zealand did really well in here and in the Chronicles of Narnia and in Lord of the Rings, mm. but not The Hobbit, which looks like a cramped studio blue screen movie. Oh, and the entire movie looks like it's set in a 
CGI world. It doesn't look like it, New Zealand at all. Exactly. It's terrible. And I think it's one of the things that makes films like Willow really shine is this, this sense that you really are out in the elements mm. in these fantastic locations. Yeah, yeah. And often very uncomfortable locations. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the muddy scenes were apparently very grueling for Warwick being only... Yeah. Uh, you know, three foot tall or whatever. Yeah, and I feel sorry for Val Kilmer with his open shirt wandering around in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently they had to, the where they shot it, there was there was only one road to go up there and most of the time the only way they could get up there was uh, using helicopters. Um, right. And every time there would there would be a, a storm or a whiteout, they would, they would have to evacuate the set uh, and 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 leave the mountain and all the all the night scenes in that in that in that scene they just had to do in the studio because it was far too cold at night to actually oh gosh yeah <laughs> yeah and it but it doesn't matter does it really because you can't see anything anyway yeah it's it's a lavish production and it's it's beautifully done I mm. think right so it's uh, that that time where I where we set the movie free we do so. Away it should go. <laughs> run, little guy, run. Oh, off he goes. Look at him run. He's so happy. So I guess the only thing now is for us to decide what we're going to pull out of the oubliette next time. Well, for next time, I thought we'd uh, go down under oh. to uh, Australia and oh. uh, take a look at the Aussie film from 1984. Razorback. Wow. I have not seen Razorback. Well, like I always say, <laughs> you're in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will look forward to that. So thanks for joining us for another episode of Movie Oubliette. I hope everyone enjoyed our trip into childhood nostalgia with Willow. Childhood nostalgia. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Tell us what you think of Willow. Um, whether you agree with us releasing Willow into the wild and um, tell us what sort of films you think we should be looking at next, etc. We are on Twitter and Instagram as Movie Oubliette. And if you don't know how to spell Oubliette, that's... So was it O? I can't remember. What was that? Okay, I think that's clear now. So yes, join us in the dungeon next time on Movie Oubliette. And if you can, please give us a star rating on iTunes or wherever else they give star ratings. And a good <laughs> review too, because you love us, right? Yeah, you do. <laughs> you know you do. Okay, so join us in the dungeon next time on Movie Oubliette. I'm Conrad. I'm Dan. Goodbye for now. Goodbye. review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and not the movie Tempting, but no.